Good morning, everyone. My name is Lydia Choi. I am one of the pastors here, and I became a member today. <laughs> I felt more nervous about becoming a member. I don't know why, but I, I, don't, I think than anyone that was standing in front of us today. I was like so much shaking. <laughs> It's like, ooh, I'm becoming a member. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if you've noticed something different in the past few days. Um, there is something bright in the sky, and the sky is blue. And I don't remember, I don't know if you remember or if you were here when I shared about my last summer during the heat wave. Um, I didn't do too well, but I want to let you know that this week I'm doing very well. (laughs) So thank you for those that prayed for me last time, um, prayed for my character that I will be a good person during this heat wave. With that, um, I wanted to introduce you to our sermon series. Um, It's a new summer summer, um, sermon series on the parables. What are parables? Parables are stories with meanings. William Barclay famously said that parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Jesus used earthly things to lead our minds to heavenly things. Amy Jo Levine, um, an Orthodox Jewish scholar, describes the parables as pearls of Jewish wisdom. She says Jews knew that parables were made more than, sorry, Jews knew that parables were more than children's stories or restatements of common knowledge. They knew that parables and the tellers of parables were there to prompt them to see the world in a different way. to challenge, and at times to indict. We might be better off thinking less about what they mean and more about what they can do, remind, provide, refine, confront, disturb. That said, we can experience that Jesus used parables in a unique way to comfort us, challenge us, convict us, and commission us. Parables are not fairy tales or fables with one packaged moral story or takeaway. It's not prepackaged. Instead, in parables, Christ invites us to see and be seen. The goal of parables is being mastered by the one that the scriptures reveal. Being mastered by the one that the scriptures reveal. And as we move into the summer and live out our own stories, I want to invite you to join us in the next six weeks as we hear Jesus' parables and experience how Jesus speaks to us through his stories. Before I move on, please join me in prayer. God, as we hear a parable today, May we see you and be seen. And God, I come today not with eloquent words or poetic words, but I come with your gospel. And I pray, Lord, that the words that I speak will be your words. And I pray, God, that you will open the hearts of the people that are in this room. that it is not words that we hear only in our head, 
but that your word will speak into our hearts. That it is out of our hearts that you will bring transformation in our lives. So we ask you that you will be with us in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today, I will not be diving into Jesus' parable. Not yet. That's next week. We will begin with a parable from the Old Testament, a parable prophet Nathan shared with King David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, or you can follow along on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now the traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the men and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. Die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing that had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are that man. It is only after listening to Nathan's parable that David was able to recognize the gravity of his sin. It was a wake-up call for David. David felt injustice for the poor man. But when he realized he was the rich man that Nathan was talking about, he became conscious of himself. It was in the prime of David's life, without realizing himself, David took a turn in his life. He was not the David that walked closely with God in humility and listened to God. This is what happened to David. It was springtime, and kings go to war, war, but David, who was now a well-established king, didn't go to war because he didn't need to prove himself anymore. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. She was beautiful. So David sent someone to find out more about her. His servant came back and reported, her name is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And without a second thought, David sends for her, takes her to his bed, sleeps with her, and then sends her back home like it never happened. Probably around a month later, Bathsheba learns that she's pregnant. So she sends a message to David. 
I am pregnant. David, he's a good problem solver. He knows strategy. Think about all the relationship drama he dealt with. So he came out with an idea. He sends for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and Uriah comes to David's palace. David casually asks Uriah, how are the soldiers doing? How's the battle going? And then he tells Uriah, go home to rest. David had expected Uriah to go immediately to his wife Bathsheba and sleep with her and assumed that Uriah would think that the child in Bathsheba's womb was his. David really thought through this. However, Uriah was a loyal soldier. He didn't think it was right to be with his wife while other soldiers were still fighting in a battle. So Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace and didn't go to his house to see his wife. So David needed another plan. So plan B, David sent Uriah back to battle, this time with a letter to Joab, the general, instructing him to place Uriah in front of the battle so that he is guaranteed to be killed during the battle. Joab did as David instructed, and Uriah died in the front of the battle. When Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of the mourning was over, David brought Bathsheba to his house, and she became his wife. Oh. <laughs> Eugene Peterson, in his book, Leap Over a Wall, describes what began as a lustful whim developed into an enormous sex and murder crime. In the Bible, guys. <laughs> How did David mastermind such action? He lustfully sleeps with someone else's wife, gets her pregnant, and tries to pretend that his child is someone else's, but once that didn't work, to save his own face, he murders his mistress's husband and then brings her to his palace and marries her. How does such sin happen? As with most sin, it happened gradually. There is, you know, the story, there, there is so much more drama here. This is more than you can hear on Netflix, honestly, right? This is not the David we hear about in the previous chapters of the Bible. We first hear of David in the Bible when God rejected King Saul, a proud and secure king who disobeyed God. David was a young shepherd boy when he was chosen by God to be king over Israel. David was humble and he loved God. He sang praises to God. He was a man after God's heart. But Saul hated David, and Saul chased him, defrauded him, and David had to live in wilderness because of Saul. David lived in danger, hardship, loneliness, and loss, all because of Saul. And even when David has a chance to kill Saul, not once, but twice, David spares Saul's life. And listen to this. When Saul died, David didn't celebrate. Instead of feeling relief, David lamented, cried for Saul's death. 
David had a reputation to be a loyal friend, courageous leader, a wise king. But what happened to him? What happened? With success, pride entered his heart. He was on a gradual, gentle slope, keeping his distance from God. C.S. Lewis wrote a fiction book called Screw Tape Letters. It's a book about two devils. Super fun. Um, it's very interesting. And um, it's the two devils' names are Uncle Screwtape. Uncle Screwtape advises his nephew, Wormwood, how to tempt humans into sin. And at one point, Screwtape advises Wormwood that small sins are good. And they're like, they the safest road to hell for Christians. And this is what Screwtape tells Wormwood in the book. It says, You will say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. It does not matter how small the sins are provided, that their cumulative effect is to edge the men away from the light and out into nothing. Instead, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope. Soft underput, without sudden turning, without milestones, without signposts. Friends, how is Nathan's parable speaking to you today? What blind sight is God revealing to us through his parable? In the life of David, we as the audience witness that the more David, the less God. The less David is paying attention to God, the more he's acting as if he were God. He acted like he was Bathsheba's God when he pulled her into his scheme to fulfill his desires. And to cover up his sins, he played God with Uriah and got him killed. David knew the law. In Jewish tradition, um, it's the Jewish tradition to teach children the law. In Deuteronomy 6, uh, it instructs parents to teach their children when when they sit at home, when they walk along the road, when they lie down, and when they get up. Almost it's saying like 24-7, you need to teach your children the law. And in the Ten Commandments, God gives Israelites the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. David, like any other Jewish children, had the law memorized. He knew the law by heart. Eugene Peterson mentions that it is the subtlety of sin, that it doesn't feel like sin when we're doing it. It feels like godlike. It feels religious. It feels fulfilling and satisfying. David didn't feel like a sinner when he sent for Bathsheba. He felt like a lover. And what can be better than that? David didn't feel like a sinner when he sent for Uriah. He felt like a king. Somewhere along the line, he had withdrawn from the life of worship. 
and adoration of God had receded, an obsession with self had moved in. And it is in this parable that Nathan recovered for David an awareness of God, an awareness of God. Eugene Peterson further explains, in the Christian life, our primary task isn't to avoid sin, which is impossible anyways, but to recognize sin, to recognize sin. The fact is that we are all sinners, but there's an enormous amount of self-deception and sin. And for David, it's not until Nathan said, you are that man, that David recognizes his sin. It is not until he heard the words, you are that man, that David became conscious of his own sins. And it's in Psalm 51 that we as the readers get a little glimpse of David's responses to God. And this is what David says in Psalm 51. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Psalm 51 or follow along on the screen. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you, O Nick, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely, I was sinful at that, at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me a joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Amen. David, broken, in full vulnerability, feeling naked, his heart being exposed, cry out to God, have mercy on me. Cleanse me from my sin. I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
you will be surprised how even at a young age, we know what sin is. When babies are caught doing something they're not supposed to know, for example, like my daughter, she knew not to climb the table, and she'll climb the table, and when I see her and I say, Miriam, she'll freeze, she'll look back, think about it, and make that really cute, like, I'm about to cry face, and go, and she'll cry. Because babies, even at a young age, knows when they do something wrong. Even babies. I have a story about my son, Ben. He's nine, but this is when he was four. Um, he doesn't know I'm sharing this, so don't, don't, if you ever see him, don't share the story with him. <laughs> um, it was a night. We were getting ready for bed, and I had told him to go ask Dad to brush his teeth. He hates brushing his teeth. But, you know, we have to, right? So I finished up the dishes, went upstairs, and when I went upstairs to put him down for bed, I saw that his toothbrush was dry. So I went to Ben and asked him, Ben, did you brush your teeth? He answered without a thought, yeah. Ben, are you sure you brushed your teeth? Your toothbrush is dry. What did you use to brush your teeth? Well, like a good mother would do, we had a conversation about lying, building trust, and about our relationship. It was a very good talk. Then I told him that he should pray. I told him that lying breaks God's heart. I said, you should ask God for forgiveness for lying. So Ben started to pray. And he likes to start his pray with, um, prayer with Father God. So he said, Father God. And he started to sob. And it was such an ugly sob that I've ever heard him cry. It wasn't the tantrum kind that you hear a four-year-old cry, but it was a sad, a very sad cry. He was barely able to say the words, God, I am sorry for lying. Please forgive me for lying. He sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And after praying, he was crying, I was crying, I'm still crying. This was a very special moment that Ben experienced. He experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. He experienced what it meant to repent of his sins. And Ben experienced the good news of Jesus Christ. He experienced the forgiveness of his sins. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes in a minute, but before I do, I want to invite our prayer ministers to come up, um, and maybe Ellie to come up as well. And I'm going to invite you now to close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes.
friends, the good news is that God loves you. It's so simple. The simple fact is that God loves you. It's not complicated. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to earth to die as a sacrifice for your sins. It is through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that your sins are paid. Your sins are paid for. And as Jesus went up to heaven, he sent us a counselor, an advocate, a companion, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and remind you of everything of Jesus. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not yet let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It begins with the yes. Yes to Jesus. But maybe you feel like there's too much past baggage for you to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you have cheated someone. Maybe you have stolen something that's not of yours. Maybe you told a big lie you can't take back. Maybe you can't escape from your toxic habits. Maybe you are that David in Nathan's parable. You are that man. You are that woman. Maybe you feel like you're not worthy to be called a son or a daughter of God. Maybe there is a wall or a barrier that you've been slowly building up and up and up. That you feel so distant from God, you don't know how to say yes. But friends, your sins are paid for. Jesus has already died for your sins. You are free from your past. You're free. God is saying, you are free. You are free. You don't have to be a bondage of sin anymore. You are free. And if you would like to say yes to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. Slowly raise your hand and declare, thank you, I see you. Thank you, I, I see you. I see you, friends. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. Yes, Jesus. We say yes to you. Yes, Jesus. I declare, yes, Jesus. If you said yes to Jesus today, I want to invite you to come forward right now or even after service to pray with our prayer team. And Pastor Raul and I would love to connect with you. Please check 
I accept Christ on your connection card. And I want to invite those, anyone that would like to receive prayer. If you're walking in a hard journey, in a difficult journey, you are not alone. You are with a family that is here with you today. And we have our prayer ministers that would like to invite you to come to the front and pray with us. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For those of us that have said yes to you for the first time, those of us that have said yes and have recommitted our lives to you again today, we thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into earth, into this world, to die on the cross for our sins. And we thank you, God, for forgiving us of our sins. For now we can declare, I am free. I am free in the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the new life that you give us. We thank you for your breath that allows us to breathe. And as we walk in this journey of life, I pray, Lord, that we will continue to walk closer to you. As David prays in Psalm 51, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me a joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken, a contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. We thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.